Welcome to In Conversation with Our Food Future, the podcast series that's following the creation of Canada's first circular food economy here in Guelph, Wellington. I'm Barb Schwarzenhuber, Executive Director of the Smart Cities Office and host of this podcast series. On today's show, we're talking with local business and social enterprise experts about how we can support businesses and not-for-profits in adopting circular practices and why this is good for businesses, economies, and communities. So let's pull up our chairs around the kitchen table and get the conversation started. So I'm here today with two of our Our Food Future colleagues, Ann Tuner-Fung and Julia Grady. Ann has been the CAO of Innovation Guelph since 2017. Innovation Guelph is a lead partner in the Our Food Future project and runs many of the accelerator programs that support businesses and collaboration. Anne is an entrepreneur and business consultant with more than 20 years experience working with businesses and not-for-profit organizations to help them achieve a sustainable, competitive advantage in the market. Julia Grady is co-founder and executive director at 10C, a not-for-profit social enterprise that helps organizations across sectors engage in collaborative work to improve community. 10C is also a lead partner in the Our Food Future project. This role includes managing the Harvest Impact Social Impact Investment Fund, a community-based lending facility that provides access to capital for food and environment sector companies and enterprising not-for-profits. Welcome to both of you. I want to start today um, uh, by by uh, by bringing up the fact that uh, last week we had a pretty big announcement of additional funding for the work you both are involved in and help co-create with the Smart Cities Office. And that funding is about coordinating an ecosystem of business supports and funding to help launch and accelerate new circular businesses in both the food system and the environment sectors. So it's pretty exciting. And we've named that uh, initiative the Circular Opportunity Innovation Launchpad. And it's designed to build on the work of the Our Food Future project to help disrupt and transition the economy towards one that is, you know, more sustainable, circular, and regenerative. At that announcement, um, a consistent theme that came up was that this shouldn't, this wouldn't be possible without collaboration. And sometimes that word gets used as a bit of a throwaway, but in this case, it really is the bedrock of this initiative and our work together which really brings so many organizations uh, together around a table to co-create value. So I want to start with asking your thoughts about the nature of collaboration in this situation. Why is it necessary? What are the obstacles? We were we were just joking uh, before we got started that we've spent the entire day together on various uh, collaboration phone calls. So uh, I'd, I'd really love to hear your thoughts about it. Julia, let's start with you. What, do you. what are your thoughts? Sure. Thanks, Barb. I think um, the word collaboration is indeed one of the central kind of premises of the project. And even over the last two years, um, all of the businesses and organizations and entities involved are really getting to know each other a lot better. And I think the 
it takes a lot of time to layer in um, all of those relationships. So um, the uh, business community, none of it exists in isolation. So the the notion and really how our food future and I'm assuming coil moving forward will really embrace collaboration, I think is the the right way. And also in Guelph Wellington, we do have a really collaborative nature and ecosystem. It's like meant to be, um, people are meant to be um, helpful of each other, even sometimes when they're competitors. So um, for me, that's like collaboration seems very, fairly central. The one um, complicated part about it is how um, how many voices there are sometimes in a room or in a project. So even in today's um, meetings and work stream updates, and um, we can really start to see after kind of almost like two years later, all of that early work is now coming for, to for fruition. So um I, I think it's around finding roles and lanes for projects and then ways that they like layer in on top and contribute to the to a greater whole. Yeah, um, people couldn't see me and, and Anne nodding, but uh, we couldn't agree more. The collaboration um, kind of has to happen in the pre-competitive stage, but it, you know, it doesn't stay there and, and you can't, you can't discount the fact that, you know, as I say, we're all, we've created a system um, where people have to be competitive to some degree for government funding, but there is, there certainly is a, a sense of collaboration in Guelph and, and um, you know, together with both of you, we've really uh, created and built on that. And, and what are your thoughts from, from sort of the business support world perspective? Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of really key elements to this project, um, not the least of which is is kind of introducing collaboration between uh, entities and organizations that aren't normally thrown together. So, um, and that is really that kind of uh, serendipitous interaction between people who have different backgrounds, different perspectives. Uh, is one of the hallmarks of any kind of innovation. So it's been a great opportunity, I think, for the, the typical business support network to integrate more with multiple partners who they don't normally integrate with. Uh, Tensi included uh, the, the nutritious food work stream, the partners that are participating in that we would not normally have, have interacted with. Um, and across this platform, even there are even companies that we might not necessarily have interacted with that we now are. And then even more importantly, the second piece. So there's the partner collaboration that's being facilitated by this project. But the amount of collaboration that's being facilitated between businesses is really incredible. Um, and that in some cases, that's by deliberate design. So we actually identified in some of our programs, both the urban ag and the seeding our food future, we identified collaborations as a, a um, almost a segment of participation. So you could participate as a business, as a not-for-profit organization, or as a collaboration. And so we are encouraging those kinds of connections. And then aside from that, um, a lot of these activities, and Cher mentioned it this morning from Provision Coalition, she mentioned the fact that some of the groups that are doing the educational programming are continuing to stay connected afterwards. 
Uh, we recently saw a wonderful initiative by a bunch of, of women-led businesses, a couple of them who are involved in the circular economy, others who are not, who got together to uh, put together an option that allowed them to raise money for the local hospital foundation. So when businesses put aside their competitive instincts to collaborate to, to further either a social impact initiative um, or fundraising for an organization, um, that's a kind of an indication of some change happening that I'm certainly of the opinion that this initiative is, is facilitating that change and it's helping move it forward. That's really, that's very interesting. And um, yeah, I think what we're seeing um, is that the circular economy does require uh, a more collaborative um, business proposition, more collaborative supply chain. And and I wanted to ask and, and talk a little bit about, you know, you hear people talking quite a bit these days about purpose-driven business and value creation as opposed to extraction and the role of business in, in solving public, you know, if not planetary challenges. Sometimes it's part of the broader debate about an economy that's not based on GDP tracking, but on well-being and on shared values. And you seem to be saying that businesses are starting to move in that direction. Do you think they're embracing that kind of thinking right now? And and what what else are you seeing around this move towards that purpose-driven business? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because it's it's almost a a virtuous cycle and and wealth has already a predisposition towards purpose-driven businesses uh, that's something that i noticed as you mentioned been with innovation Guelph since 2017 i noticed it very early on there was actually a trademark identified uh, called good biz guelph that was a marketing campaign that supported the fact that businesses in Guelph tend to be purpose-driven. So I would say there's that already existed here, but that's just a reflection of the fact that in some ways Guelph's a little bit ahead of the curve on that because it is now becoming part of the broader conversation uh, nationally and internationally. And I think it's you know, for, for good or bad, it's a little bit crisis driven. We have, we are facing some very, very complex intractable problems around the world. Uh, certainly climate change has been the one that's been top of mind for so many people for a while. And then you add that to this pandemic situation and all of a sudden it's galvanized an underlying understanding that um, this continual pursuit of consumption and profit is is not healthy. It's not healthy for people. It's not healthy for the planet. And businesses finally kind of coming to that place where they're actually starting to align with what people want. So I think the it's coming from the community. It's coming from consumers. But at the same time, businesses are now saying, you know, this actually makes sense. So some kind some companies do it for greenwashing or whatever whatever other agenda they have. But I think more and more companies, and certainly the new companies, the ones that are just starting that we engage with, um, they're starting there. They're starting there. They're starting with how do we make the world a better place? How do we solve real problems for real people? Uh, it's not just about piling up money. It's about making a difference. 
And I think this initiative has tapped into that and at the same time has amplified that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I, I think you're right. I don't know if it's the next generation that's more in tune with um, how you address some of the critical issues and develop a business and have a sustainable livelihood. I think, I think we're definitely seeing that change. And so I, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. It's very interesting to, it's interesting to watch. And this, this initiative has certainly amplified that. Um, Julia, in sort of in response to supporting that, that um, development of businesses that are purpose-driven, uh, you're working on building that community-based funding and financing ecosystem, the Harvest Impact Fund. Can you, can you say a little bit more about how that fund is kind of shaped in order to support this new direction we're seeing and the circular economy? Sure. Thanks, Barb. The and I think it ties in um, exactly with what Anne was talking about in terms of like purpose-driven economy. But then there's also the purpose-driven side of um, how we make our um, purchasing decisions as consumers, and then also our um, investment decisions as as residents of a of a community. And one of the kind of um, key facets we have is that the smart community invests in itself, and that there can be um, methods to invest in the types of businesses that you want to see in the future and that you want to um, support in the future. So what we're where we're at with Harvest Impact is developing as a share capital co-op. So it would a cooperative structure gives a way to um, facilitate investment. So it basically builds an institution where you can put investments in and uh, processes where investments can go out into companies, enterprises, including not-for-profits. Um, once that utility is in place, we'll be able to then um, basically do direct lending into the businesses. And some of the community-based lending will be um, a little bit more flexible than, say, traditional financing, because um, a lot of these projects are just starting out. So their ability to access financing is, um, is maybe not fully developed yet. And at the same time, um, we know that these projects will be able to generate um, a financial return for for investors. And this, where this fits in the realm of um, of other projects happening across Canada, or, or this notion of place based funds to support local businesses. And I think there's a handful right now, and there will be like a growing um, momentum towards um, I think similar and um, more expanded projects across Canada. So that's really exciting. And the last kind of piece on that, I think there's something unique and different to the um, investment um, decision-making process. So a little bit less patriarchal and more um, investee-led as far as um, group decision-making. So I'm really excited to um, have a, a bit of a, a forum to experiment with that um, and define and create something that um, the community actually really needs and wants. And and you're doing some interesting work on um, impact tracking. So I, I think you're you're trying to respond to what some of some investors are looking for now. So can you say a little bit about that work? Yeah. So when we say social finance and social investment and social impact, there's the um, financial impact piece of it and the financial returns, but then there are also the social returns. So sometimes a, um, a project and obviously impact measurement 
is a complex field and the it, any everyone is working at the at this furious pace of figuring it out so where we'll be is um, supporting investee companies to track things that matter to them and also track things that that show impact that could be um, uh, around regenerative farming and just even like acres of farmland remediated could be one of the kind of measures or it could be um, volume of um, product uh, saved from landfill so those kinds of measures then can all add up into a social and or environmental impact report that is then paired with whatever your financial return is so that it's that impact investing really is around impact and not just exclusively financial return. Yeah, that, that makes uh, makes imminent sense because we're talking about a different kind of business and uh, a different kind of investor. Um, and I, it's a great um, kind of segue to my next uh, question, which is a different kind of government. <laughs> so uh, both of you were early, um, early leaders on board with this project that is being driven by local government. And I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about the changing role of government. I've been reading the book Mission Economy by Mariana Mazzucato about how having a big goal or mission like the moon landing requires government to really play a stronger role in setting the vision and direction and uh, working in a different way with business and civil society, really to reimagine what the future could look like and to solve um, some of the wicked problems we've been talking about, like inequality, climate change, food insecurity. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm tentatively asking you because I, I am sitting here from the perspective of lo local government. And what are your thoughts? Um, what are your thoughts about the changing role of government? Yeah, I think when it, when it comes to, as you said, wicked problems, that impact everybody and that clearly have a potential long-term impact uh, for good or bad um, across multiple generations. I think it's the responsibility of government to be involved. Uh, how they are involved, I think, depends on circumstance. In some, kind, some cases, it's about setting vision. It's about um, catalyzing um, groups of people and bringing groups of people together to have those bigger, difficult, complicated conversations. Uh, sometimes it's about deploying resources. Uh, for example, what, what's happening at the federal level in response to COVID is a very good example of you know, a crisis that's impacting everybody and, and deployment of resources is critical to ensure that especially the most impacted individuals have supports. Uh, so I do think there's definitely a role. I think the role has to be balanced between stepping up to support what can be supported and what can be catalyzed and or uh, facilitated and balancing that with the, the ability for the marketplace and more agile players uh, in the not-for-profit sector as well as the for-profit sector to, to move and actually make things happen. So balancing those two things I think are really important and creating platforms where all of the different players can kind of come together and collaborate 
as we talked about earlier, and and have those um, multifaceted interactions that bring up really unique and creative solutions. So that facilitation, a deployment of resources, helping setting vision, mission, and and setting that big, very audacious goal that people can rally around. I think those are areas that government can play a significant role. That's great. Um, there's a great line in the book that uh, is that it's not the role of government to pick the winners, but to pick the willing. And I, I thought that was, Julia, what, what do you think? You, you came to see us really early on and said, you know, 10C really needs to be part of this and, and we need to, we need to have an impact fund. What, what are your thoughts about the role of government? I think the, um, the notion of pick the willing is um, is is great. It's really around. I think um, government's role is to kind of like enable the change and support the sector in in ways that help help things flourish. Right. So if we're saying there's there's um, there's a pro the problem with food waste and we're looking to change it, then um, the process that we're in right now with our food feature is kind of opening up those methods. But that's only because government um, procured funding to enable these um, partners and, and people to come together. So I think there's like a mix of incentives and, um, and openings that government can create and then looking and research and developing long-term policies. So in a, in a way, um, if that work can be happening, government can kind of get out of the way, which is the even the time we're in right now with um, really everything is on the table. Like everything is on the table, including um, women's role in the economy, anti-racism work, the role of Canada in terms of Indigenous populations and and how we somehow build um, a better society, um, that gives us like a ton of opportunity as long as individual like people as well as organizations and businesses are all jumping into the into the field to create new things. And I think government cannot solve any of these problems for us. It's up to um, citizens and businesses to be doing this work. And I think the part that's happening with businesses, we're also seeing that there's financial opportunity in this work. And if you just mm -hmm. look at the amount of food that is wasted across Canada, that is financial opportunity. It's also social and economic opportunity. Yes, yeah. bo both things are, are true, aren't they? They're, they're the financial opportunity and the opportunity to have different voices at the table and the opportunity to address issues of inequity. I mean, that's a great way to, to actually sum up this conversation. Um, but, I, but the last question that I have for all of you is probably my favorite one. And it's because the best part of this work is getting to work with people like the two of you that are showing up to work on these initiatives and they're all in people that are passionate about the work and they're really coming at it from both a personal and a professional perspective. Some of that I think is because the work that centers around food is really, you know, so core and so elemental to who we are as humans and how we express our love, caring and how we come together as a family and with our friends and in community. So I like to wrap up these discussions by asking people to share a little bit about a memorable meal, a family or a cultural food tradition, or you know even a connection to the land and growing food that's meaningful to you 
And uh, can you use that as a way of reflecting on uh, the experience that you're bringing with you to this work and your passion for reimagining, you know, not just a better food system, but really a better world? Anne, we'll start with you. Okay, so this one's an interesting one for me. Um, I grew up, I, my, one of my parents is Scottish, the other is Hungarian. The Scots are not known for their food. <laughs> and, I have a and, Scottish and, mother-in-law, so you're, you're right. <laughs> and, and aside from the fact that I learned how to make a wicked paprikash krimpli when I was young, paprikash krimpli, which is actually a, a paprika and potatoes, I learned how to, to cook when I was quite young. But when food really began to make a difference and to have that greater significance for me is when I actually married uh, my husband. Some of you uh, may have guessed that my husband is Chinese because of my last name. And the Chinese culture is so completely tied to food that it's incredible. Every, every important um, event, every important life cycle is celebrated with food. Uh, but kind of the thing that always got to me um, as I met his family and his extended family, and they also have large extended families, um, was the fact that they always, always, always use a round table. And they use a round table for a very specific reason. And that is by pushing your chair back a few inches, you can always fit another person around the table. And I grew up in a household where, you know, if you had a meal and there were four people, there were four pork chops and you couldn't invite anybody over for dinner because there wasn't enough food. <laughs> Whereas in the Chinese culture, the food was always served family style, center of the table. Everybody helped everybody else to access the food, and you could always fit another person around the table, no matter what. And that just, that's always had such a significance for me because it means, it means welcoming, it means inclusion, it means the door is open, it means sharing, uh, it means all of those things to me. And so, oddly enough, by marrying into a different culture, food became something very different for me. So, I do think that it's kind of a universal connector. Um, Julia alluded to some of the racial ch challenges that are happening right now, uh, but one of the one of the best ways to connect with people from a different background and a different culture is over food and music. But food, <laughs> um, those are wonderful ways to connect and to realize that 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 when it comes right down to it, we we are all the same. Everybody has a version of bread. Everybody has a version of stew. Everybody has their cultural version of these key things that tie us all together and feed us and nourish us. And, um, and that's why this strikes a chord with everybody, I think. Wow, what a beautiful story. I, uh, I didn't know that about the round table. That's, that's very cool. And it's a great metaphor for this initiative too. Julia, what's your story? My story with food, I'm going to, I'm not going to tell a food, food story. It's mostly around um, a reason why like this project is so important to me is um, I, for the half of my life, um, I, so I'm 50 now. So for the first 25 years, I would classify as food insecure. And um, when Anne was talking about, um, uh, talking about the notion, um, the food, my, um, I grew up with a, 
a solo parent. My father died when I was very little. And my brother and I always, it was there was a meal called we called it pig slop <laughs> and it was um it was pasta and pork and that would have been the one protein we probably had in a week we never had vegetables until i was an adult before i actually enjoyed vegetables so i have when I, what i bring to kind of all of this work is like a bit of um empathy and understanding and commitment to um bringing food more food as a right to the people that we share this planet with and also that we share this community with and also that we share our streets with. And I think that that's, um, I love Anne's notion of the circularity of the, of the table and there is always more space. We need definitely more visibility into um, it not being okay that our friends and neighbors do not have access to food um, at the same time that we're wasting so much food. So it's it's like you wouldn't, you know, fill that table with glorious food and then just throw half of it away when you see people at the very next house without any. So I think that that um, really fuels my drive. And, and I uh, love food now, but it was always just a, a thing that was was there um, that wasn't was there in terms of um, grains, bread, <laughs> pasta. And that's not actually a good way to you know develop great habits thank you so much and certainly the passion that you bring to the the work uh, that you just spoke about shines through from both of you and i i can't feel more blessed than to work with two smart passionate women like both of you so thank you for for the opportunity to work with you and for the chat today I'm Barb Schwartzentruber, Executive Director of the Smart Cities Office and host of In Conversation with Our Food Future. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you have ideas for a show or comments, you can email us at foodfuture@guelph.ca. Until next time, take care and let's keep the conversation going on foodfuture.ca.